open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host at Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have a wonderful guest today, Saifedean Moose. It's a week with Saifedean. He's an Austrian economist, author of the Bitcoin Standard. Welcome, Saifedean. Thank you for having me, Trace. Okay, so let's uh, just get right into it. The topic for this episode is censorship resistance. Uh, when we look at the Austrian economists, in the previous centuries, they would talk about the hardness of sound money. Then we saw a shift to talking about the censorship-resistant properties of the sound money, mainly, I think, because it, it had to do with transferring value over distance or over a communications channel, as Satoshi would say. Can you help us understand a little bit more about this and the role it plays with Bitcoin? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, censorship resistance, another way of stating it, a synonym for it would be individual sovereignty. You know, the idea that the individual who makes the transaction is the one who decides if they're going to send it or not. It's bringing the properties of cash to the digital realm. Effectively, I mentioned this in my book, that if you read um, Menger in the 19th century when they talk about what sound money is, essentially for them it was just about what the market chooses as money. And in the, 19th, in the 20th century for Mises, or you know, for Menger, it was, it was about why certain things also. In the 19th century, economists would discuss why certain things would be chosen by the market. But in the 20th century, their definition of what was sound money was that it was the thing that government couldn't manipulate because that was that was the problem you know before it was maybe uh, counterfeiters who made uh, manipulated uh, money but now it's government that really manipulates it uh, uh, completely so they manipulate it in terms of affecting the supply and in terms of having a monopoly uh, banking and clearance and settlement system around the world that has to follow uh, one political uh, authority. Yeah, so I've kind of started this, well, I started the uh, cultural tradition proof of keys for the Bitcoin community, where we withdraw on January 3rd in celebration of the Genesis block of Bitcoin, all of our keys from any centralized third parties. Now, an interesting aspect of that is one, we, oh, and, and we also run our own full node to do full validation of the network consensus. And we hold our own private keys. So when we're doing full validation, when we do a Bitcoin transaction, we're melting down all the UTXOs and we're recasting them into new UTXOs. And then we we're able to validate that with our full node. And the cost that we pay is negligible in terms of computer processing power and bandwidth to run the full node. And then we pay a couple cents in terms of the transaction fee. But compared to the alternative, like... Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Like, what what is the alternative when we're when we're dealing with gold, for example? Yeah, I think this is really the punchline of the last couple of chapters of my book, which is you know explaining the first seven chapters of my book talk about money and lead towards explaining the history of money, and then how Bitcoin fits in 
initially I'd mentioned it was about the difficulty adjustment being a very important uh, part of the book. But the other aspect of it is how Bitcoin is better equipped to fight control by government, to resist becoming a tool of government. And so the, the key idea for me really is that, you know, Bitcoin is a digital way of doing gold and it just recreates gold's scarcity. But where it improves on gold is in the fact that the best way to express it in modern uh, digital currency speak is the cost of running a node is much lower with Bitcoin than with gold, running a full node. In other words, the full node in Bitcoin, it's the unit that is able to send and receive money halfway across the world. It's like what a central bank does. Now, to do something like that with gold, you need to set up a business that can actually ship physical quantities of gold around the world, which is extremely expensive on a technological and economical basis, but also extremely impossible on a political basis because effectively you need to ward off the political and um, military and judicial uh, and legal um, might of the United States of America, which doesn't take kindly to people establishing uh, alternate systems to its own. So effectively, this is really uh, why Bitcoin is hard to kill because it's built so that it gives its user full control. And this is why Bitcoin is important because it gives its user full control. And that's that's why for me, you know, Bitcoin corrects the catastrophe of the growth of the modern nanny managerial state that was, in my opinion, a result of the move towards government money. So you talked about shipping the gold around, but what about assaying the gold? Because when you're running a Bitcoin full node and doing your own full validation, you're cryptographically proving that those UTXOs are valid. With gold, you have to prove that the atoms are valid, that you don't have tungsten, for example. And to do that, you need to refine the gold. So you actually have to melt it down and test it and recast it. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, which is kind of expensive, much more expensive than, you know, checking the Bitcoin blockchain on your node. <laughs> yeah. And, and then when you want to when you want to move it around, like it's it's going to cost more than a quarter, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's extremely expensive to move physical gold around. And so the key punchline of the comparison between gold and Bitcoin is this. Uh, they can both do the same thing. It's just that if you try to do it with gold, you will inevitably end up with a few central banks having the final settlement of clearance, if not one central bank, which is what ended up being the case effectively with the Bank of England and then later on with the Federal Reserve. So it becomes effectively under the fiat monetary system or under the end of the gold standard days, the settlement mechanism itself became the money, you know, the, the the value was in the ability to settle money across the world, to have the political and military clout to be able to, you know, settle payments across the world. That itself was monetized. That that was a monetary asset, and this is how we can understand the the rise of this uh, of this kind of money. Yeah, that's fascinating to think about. That the value is in is in actually the military, like when it is backed by guns. Yeah, that's kind of the truth. And then and it's and it's that backing of guns and aircraft carriers that then enables the transport of the gold and then the settlement of it. 
And then, you know, we also got like the bullion banks that are involved with this and the, and the LBMA. So the London Bullion Market Association, we got indemnification agreements in case the gold actually isn't gold that you received from them. None of that with Bitcoin. Like the, bit, the, the transaction, as soon as it's confirmed and hits in the blockchain, you know that those Bitcoins are valid, that they're 100% real. <laughs> They've transferred to a different pub yep. key. Like, I mean, there, there's none of this indemnification agreement. Like, it's yep. just so much more elegant, so much cleaner. Exactly. I mean, in the case of gold, you end up with one or two or a few full nodes, essentially, around the world, of big central banks that control everything. Whereas in the case of Bitcoin... You know, I think in the worst case scenario, we'll likely end up in a world in which we have more than 10,000 uh, nodes able to perform final settlement daily with one another. You know, you know, we, we owe a big debt to the people who carried these ideas, especially through the 20th century. Hayek, Friedman, Rothbard, Mises, Vieira and others. And it's this whole concept of the separation of money and state. Just think, how bleak did their did the circumstance and the situation look to them? How in the world are you going to go up against all the money and all the power and all the guns worldwide in order to reestablish sound money? I mean, it just seems like an impossible Herculean task. You know, may, maybe we like what, what did what did some of these economists think about this intractable problem? Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I quote Hayek in my book. He says, um, "It's become impossible uh, to expect government to give us sound money is fanciful, it's, or something like along these lines." And you know, you, you stop expecting government to give you back your good money. It's not going to happen. Our only hope if, is if by I think that the exact term he used is by some sly roundabout method, we were to use something they cannot stop. It's an incredible, incredible uh, this phrase because, uh, you know, that's exactly what Bitcoin is. It's incredibly sly and roundabout, and then it ends up being something they can't stop. They, they still haven't figured out why they can't stop it, and they still think, you know, if push comes to shove, they will be able to stop it. But uh, really, you know, Bitcoin only makes sense once you understand that this is uh, a piece of engineering with this one design in mind, you know? It's just not get stopped <laughs> yeah i mean we, we had napster they shut that down then there's yeah. BitTorrent. why didn't they stop that because they can't you know we had paypal they stopped that we had e-gold they stopped that what about bitcoin yeah they like, can't why stop haven't they them stopped all. that maybe they, maybe maybe one will get away and it looks like that's what it is well it, it has to, a lot to do with the decentralized peer-to-peer -peer network and then lowering the cost of running a full node for each individual and so, and now we got satellites that are like beaming the blockchain down. I mean, yeah. this is this is like war level censorship resistance. It's, it's an unbelievable achievement. It's making the entirety of you know, uh, if if it does grow up into uh, being the world's only monetary standard or the world's main monetary standard, you have the entirety of the value transfer of the world being anchored towards something that is so incredibly robust. Even though it's not physical, but it's so incredibly robust because. A robust idea. A robust idea of once every 10 minutes, roughly every 10 minutes, we are going to agree on a bunch of transactions. And, you know, the technical capabilities required for machines to coordinate with each other today when the whole world is wired and wirelessly connected, um, it, it, it's almost, uh, it's too trivial for it to easily fail effectively. 
So it's it's just always going to continue to be happening. And that's just an incredible, by decentralizing it and making it technology that is very hard for anyone to control, if not impossible, you know, it's just growing and assuming its role as, you know, going to be burning all of this electricity in order to make essentially us have a monetary system that is free of human intervention and corruption. You know, the, the other thing that's just so fascinating about it is, you know, I coined the term the hardware of last resort. And I've been on several interviews, you know, I'm asked about like Bitcoin cash, because this is the real Bitcoin, right? And I'm like, well, you know, this is this is a fundamental difference in how Roger approaches his evangelism versus like how I, I, I would approach my evangelism. Roger, it's like, oh, we want to make it confusingly similar and perhaps sucker some people into buying something that they didn't necessarily know what they had. Whereas mine is, hey, everybody has access to all the source code all the time, and I want people to know exactly what they're buying and exactly why they're buying it, right? And then we look at like the Federal Reserve, the US dollar altcoin scam coin or the euro scam coin or the yen scam coin, and so much of their process and their source code is closed source. Like they aren't letting people know exactly what they're buying and why they're buying it. So what is the true strength of their hodlers of last resort, right? Yeah. Because they don't, they're not going in it fully informed. So how can the strength of their ideas compete with the strength of the Bitcoin idea? Yeah, it's hopeless. And uh, and even you know even if they did develop that, I mean you know flags and uh, anthems can drill some sort of discipline into people and to motivate them <laughs> to hold on to these. Uh, um, scam coins, but uh, even if they do hold on to them, just economic reality again, they're just impeding themselves economically by tying their mast to sinking ships. What about like Friedman and his? He wanted like an algo for the monetary yeah, emission Fried- schedule, or Fried- what, what was that about? Yeah, Friedman. Friedman's ideas on monetary policy are. Uh, Probably his worst. Uh, Rothbard, uh, have you heard of Rothbard's uh, Friedman law? Rothbard formulated Friedman's law. Oh, and what was it exactly? Everybody spends 90% of their time talking about the one thing that they're the worst. And and so Friedman is good on everything except for money. And that's why 90% of his time he's going on about money. And Friedman on money is, you know, I, I... took him to task in my book and I'm not a big fan of a lot of his ideas on monetary policy because essentially his view is that the gold standard is a form of government intervention in the money markets that the government forces people to use gold as money and that we shouldn't have that and that's just you know a barbarous relic that we should get rid of because it's too expensive and we can do better if we just put free market economists in charge of the fed and so for him you know free market monetary policy means chicago school people in the fed Whereas for the Keynesians, it means Keynesians in the Fed. Well, what 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 about that in today's day and age? Like Article One, Section Ten, Clause One of the U.S. Constitution: No state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender and payment of debts. Okay, so Federal Reserve notes can't be made legal tender because they're not gold or silver. But let's say that Wyoming makes gold and silver legal tender, but we're moving into a Bitcoin standard world. Wouldn't it be better to have like Bitcoin be able to be made legal tender? Or, I mean, how do we deal with this concept of legal tender, which is what judges are able to use as a remedy for uh, dispute resolution? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but, you know. Well, we're talking about the separation of money and state. Yeah, that's what it right? comes down to. Essentially, and, it's essentially, I think legal tender laws will continue to apply 
to government scam coins and essentially people are just going to walk away from the government scam coin industrial complex and all of its you know high time preference uh, activities and terrible nutrition and terrible government advice and they're just going to be walking away from that towards uh, the you know the, the hard money <laughs> pull, pull into their bitcoin carapace and like they're armored up and that's the end of that <laughs> yeah essentially you know the, the bitcoin economy is going to be rising and the government economy is going to be falling apart and that you know it, it it doesn't have to go with a bang it doesn't have to be quick they could manage the decline for quite a while you know the soviet union showed us how long uh, economic sock puppetry can effectively last you know for the, they continues for decades uh, with all these statistics of uh, stuff that didn't even exist but you know they were meeting their requirements and people were getting great salaries but so so the assertion would be that we'll we'll move more towards dry code where we can you know using Nick Zabo's phrases and moving away from wet code but the wet code that that legal code that's running between lawyers and judges ears will still be operating it's just people will be migrating away from that largely because you know, whenever you have that monopoly, you're going to get a higher and higher cost or the lower and lower value for the justice services that you're, yeah. that you're employing it for. And so you're going to want to just move to the dry code where you can because the Bitcoin network and smart contracts are going to be, you know, just much more efficient and cost effective when it comes to these equity and justice services. Exactly. I couldn't couldn't agree more. Essentially, you know, by as Nick Zabo says it, you know, social, social scalability by making so much of the functions that are usually political becoming just automated and algorithmic. If you agree to that, it makes the ability for people to scale socially and to to, to cooperate with one another on a global protocol far higher because you know they're they're not having to renegotiate everything all the time and. Um, you know, there's much less room for corruption and much less room for inflation, all of these things. So when we're dealing with these, you know, government bureaucrats love to bureaucrat. They got a stamp. They like to put the stamp on a piece of paper. Like, that's their life's purpose. So when we're dealing with this, you know, one of the things that they just really harp on about is Bitcoin's limited in amount. <laughs> like, it's like these little busybodies don't have something to do. Like, interfering with or changing or otherwise dealing with the limited in amountness. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how Rothbard talked about this fixed supply of money uh, yeah. thing or what he had kind of creatively envisioned as a solution. Yeah, I remember, I'm not sure where exactly, I think it might be the paper called the Austrian Theory of Money by Rothbard, in which he discusses... Uh, it's probably in more places as well, in which he, he says that, you know, hypothetically, that uh, a fixed supply of money is better than a supply that is increasing and that there's no reason for the money supply to be increasing. And this is, you know, it's one of those mind-blowing uh, realizations as you begin to start learning economics and you think back, hang on a second, exactly why should the money supply increase, you know? You don't need to make the inch longer for you to get taller. It's a unit of measurement. It doesn't have to get bigger. It's a way in which we measure economic value. So why should we change it? It should remain constant so that we measure things with it. It's essentially, you know, Bitcoin is a, a distillation of these three men's three ideas. So we, we, we didn't continue with the Friedman. We, we were ripping on his monetary policy <laughs> stuff. But, you know, he did have different ideas of how he would like to run a monetary policy. 
one of them was that you would have an algorithm uh, that just, you know, you, you don't have uh, human control or judgment. You just have an algorithm that decides things. And based on the algorithm, the supply grows or contracts. And that's similar to what Bitcoin offers. And in fact, also Friedman had also spoken about, uh, I think it was in 96 or 97, as the internet was taking off. There's a video of him, astonishingly prescient, in, in which he talks about how the only thing that's missing from the internet now is a digital form of cash where you pay it and then uh, that's it, it moves. Uh, it's like I'm paying you a dollar bill. Yeah, kind of, there's a 404 page not found error and then a 402, I think it is, payment method not specified error. And so even when designing the web browser like decades ago, you know, the the idea was eventually we're going to be able to figure out how to transfer value over a communications channel. Yeah. And boom, here it is. Look at the world we're, we're moving into now. Pandora's yeah, box has been opened. Government have done their best to retard that for quite a while, but, you know, they Monetary can't repression, that. censorship. Yeah. Yeah, we'd be far more advanced in all these technologies if we didn't have government monopolies everywhere in the world. But these things don't last. Well, it's been a wonderful week with Saifedina Moose. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to leave with the audience before we close this up? Wow. Um, well, I'll just say that this has been immensely enjoyable, Trace. And I look forward to uh, working uh, a lot more over the next few years on uh, writing and researching and teaching about Bitcoin and doing uh, more of these interviews. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It was thoroughly enjoyable. Well, thanks so much for being with us, imparting a lot of the knowledge, taking the time and the effort to do this. I can speak from experience. Creating episodes like this is not the easiest thing to do. You know, it can be quite draining uh, intellectually, but invigorating because we know that we're helping a lot of people, you know, I mean, your I thought so. leadership on a lot of these things can just be tremendous because, once again, it's ideas can only be overcome by other ideas. And those ideas have to get out there somewhere. Yeah. And so thanks so much for all you do. We've had Saifedean and Moose. It's been a week with Saifedean, the author of The Bitcoin Standard, phenomenal book, and uh, Austrian economist. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Trace. to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.